We're excited today to be starting a new uh, sermon series on the Ten Commandments. It's going to run for five weeks. Today we're looking at Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. If you're able, I invite you to stand with me and honor the reading of God's holy word. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. Hear now the written word of the living God. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Pray with me, please. Oh God, as we learn this 20th chapter of Exodus, as we talk about your Ten Commandments, oh God, I pray that you would remove every distraction that might be in our minds, in our hearts, physical distractions, maybe those who are listening at home, that we might focus now on your word, that you might teach us of yourself and of um, how you would want us to live our lives, Father. We thank you for loving us so much that you've given us your law, O oh God, and let us respond to it accordingly. God, if there's one here who doesn't know you, who doesn't know Jesus, I pray that they would come to know you today. And for believers, that we would um, see how that we can love you with our whole heart by obeying your law. And we ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Again, in all God's people said, amen. Friends, please be seated. You know, many times when someone teaches on a subject, they oftentimes start with a lengthy discourses, lengthy discourses on that subject. And then maybe after several lengthy discourses, they kind of finish up with a summary, maybe some bullet points with what they've talked about in their lengthy discourses. You know, I can remember being in, in high school and in college, maybe taking a, a science class and you get to, to all the, these chapters in the books. And these chapters are like long, lengthy discourses about certain topics within the sciences. And it was sort of overwhelming to read all of that material. But then if you turn to the end of the chapter, it would have these little bullet points at the end. And it would say, summary of the chapter or main points of the chapter, right? And you could look at those bullet points. In fact, there were, there were times uh, I learned in, in high school and in college that before we even start the chapter, I'm going to go ahead and run to the end and look at the summary so I can get a good idea of what we're going to talk about, right, in the lengthy discourses. Well, friends, today, as we start the Ten Commandments, before we get into the lengthy discourses on each one of the commandments, what I want to do is actually start you with the summary, with the bullet points, what is the summary of the Ten Commandments? Let's look at that first before we look at the individual commandments and the discourses on each one of those 
commandments. So we're kind of doing it in reverse order. As I mentioned, we're talking about the Ten Commandments today. And today and the next four weeks, we're going to do that. So let's first talk about what is the summary, right? What's the main point of the Ten Commandments? You know, just like in your science book, when you kind of open to the back of the chapter, we actually get to do the same thing in our Bibles. We get to open what was written after this uh, Exodus chapter 20. We get to open to the book of Matthew chapter 22. We're going to put the verses on the screen. Because did you know, in the book of Matthew, the Lord Jesus Christ gives us the summary. He gives us those bullet points upon what the Ten Commandments, what the law of God actually means. And here is what Jesus says in that summary. Jesus was asked, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So friend, according to the Lord Jesus Christ, the summary, the summary of the law is what? Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. That vertical relationship, you and God. And then secondly, Love your neighbor as yourself, looking out that horizontal relationship, you and other people. So friends, knowing this summary, love God, love your neighbor, how does that now apply to the Ten Commandments? Let's think through that. How does loving God and loving neighbor, how does that apply? If Jesus says this is the summary, how does it apply? Well, dear friends, when we examine the first four of the Ten Commandments, we see that they teach us to have a proper love for God. We're going to put a summary of the Ten Commandments on the screen now. When you look at the first four commandments, they are teaching your heart, they are teaching your mind to love God. That vertical relationship between you and your Creator, they are calling us to look up and to love God with everything that we are by worshiping Him properly. And we're going to find that the first commandment teaches us the object of our worship. The second commandment, the means of our worship. The third commandment, the manner of our worship. And the fourth commandment, the time of our worship. So friends, think through this with me. Summarily, the first four commandments are teaching us to love God. To properly love God by looking up and seeking Him, desiring Him, cleaving to Him, delighting in Him and loving Him. By putting Him before all things. But as we look at the last six commandments, what do they teach us? They, they're going to teach us to love our neighbor as ourselves. We'll put these commandments up on the screen. 
when the first four commandments taught us to look up and love God, these last six teach us to look out horizontally in our world and to love our neighbor as ourselves. How do we love our neighbor? By honoring our father and our mother. The Bible says in the sixth commandment not to kill, not to commit adultery. The eighth commandment not to steal, the ninth not to lie, the tenth not to covet. And at the root of these commandments, dear friends, Jesus is saying this is how you can love your neighbor, by obeying these commands. So these last six, they teach us to look out horizontally in our relationships, and love each other with kindness and patience and mercy. So as we take a giant step back and we look at the Ten Commandments in summary, what do we see? The first four, love God with all your heart by looking up and worshiping Him in the way He teaches us to worship Him. And then the last six, you're loving your neighbor by looking out to their interests. That horizontal relationship one towards the other. And friends, it's so important that you have this summary of loving God, loving neighbor in the back of your minds as we do this study. In fact, every sermon that I preach or Daryl preaches, I want this to be in the back of your minds. This is teaching me how I can love my God and how I can love my neighbor. So friends, with that summary in mind, Let's move forward now and talk about three more specific things. If you have your bulletin, I encourage you to use the back of it. There's an outline of this sermon on the back of your bulletins. I should have said that a moment ago. But let's look at these three main points. Let's look first at the preface to the Ten Commandments. And then let's look at the first commandment, which teaches us, again, the object of our worship. And the second commandment, which teaches us the means of our worship. But first of all, let's look at the preface. This is verse 2 of the text. We'll put it back on the screen. What is the preface to the Ten Commandments? Here it is. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Amen. Friends, we all know the context of this verse. That great story in Exodus. God called Moses and his brother Aaron to to go to Egypt and to tell Pharaoh what? Let my people go. Well, Pharaoh's heart was hard towards God, and God sent ten plagues to Egypt. And after that tenth plague, after the Passover, Pharaoh finally said, you can go. You can go. And they went, and they took off, and they got towards the Red Sea. And it was about that time Pharaoh decided, no, I I want him back, right? I want him back. So he sent his armies after Israel, and Israel got to the Red Sea, and on one side of them was the sea, and on the other side of them was Egypt, and they were in the middle, and they didn't have anywhere to go, but God showed up, didn't he? And God put that pillar of fire between Egypt and Israel, and on this side, what did he do? He parted the Red Sea, and they walked across on dry land. And after they walked across, they got to the other side, and they looked back, and they saw God act. On their behalf, God crashed that Red Sea down, didn't he? And he destroyed those Egyptians. And in Exodus 15, it says, Israel sang songs to the Lord. They praised him for his mighty works. And after that, they entered Sinai. And Moses went up on the mountain. And God 
gave Moses these Ten Commandments. But before he gave them the commandments, he gave Moses verse 2, this preface of the Ten Commandments. And it says, once again, it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Friends, I want you to know what God was saying to Israel and what he's still saying to us today is that because he is the Lord and because he is the Redeemer, we therefore are bound to keep his commandments. Did you hear that? Because of who he is and what he's done, we are bound to keep his commandments. I want you, well, it's on your notes, so you don't have to write it down. I wrote it down for you. I want you to always remember this. You ready? Theology drives practice. Theology drives practice. That means what we know about God determines the way we live our lives. This is what the Bible says. Practice doesn't determine theology. That's a dangerous way to live, folks. But theology drives practice. What we know about God determines the way we live our lives. Theology is what we know about God. And in this preface, God is teaching us what we should know about him, specifically two things. Are you ready? First of all, God is teaching us that he is the Lord. You see it in the text. If you look at verse 2 in your Bibles, do you see the word Lord? Do you see how every letter in that word is capitalized? You know, sometimes in your Bible, when you see the word Lord, all the letters are capitalized, and sometimes they're not. Well, what's the difference? Well, actually, there's a big difference. In Hebrew, it's two different words. In in English, it's the same word, Lord, but we recognize the differences of the two words by capitalizing one and not the other. Well, this one's all capitalized. What does that mean? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, in your Bibles. You know what that means? That's the name of God. The name of God, Yahweh or Jehovah. Do you remember when Moses was standing at the burning bush and he was giving all these excuses of why he couldn't go to Egypt? And one of his reasons was, God, I don't know your name. What if they ask me your name? I'm not ready to give them your name because I don't know your name. Well, God declared his name to Moses, didn't he? And God said, my name is what? I am. I am that I am. That is my name. Friends, the word Lord, all capitalized in Hebrew, that is the verb I am made into a name. In Hebrew, it's pronounced Yahweh or Jehovah. But it means God is the God who is. Now, why would that be important? Because they were in Egypt. And in Egypt, there was a plurality of of gods, right? There were polytheism. There were multiple gods for many things. And what God is saying in this text is that all these gods that you had in Egypt, they are the gods who are not. They are false gods, fake gods, phony gods. And these are the gods who are not. And God is saying, I am the God who is. I am. I am your creator. I am sovereign. I am the one who made covenant with you, Israel, I am the Lord. But secondly, God is saying that he is their redeemer. 
Not only in verse 2 does it say, I'm the Lord, but it says, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, I redeemed you. And what he's saying to, to Israel is, don't you remember all ten plagues? Do you remember the frogs and the lice? Do you remember the, the hail that fell? Do you remember when you didn't have a way to cross the Red Sea? When you thought Egypt was going to come behind you and get you, I made a way. I made the sea part. You walked across. I destroyed your enemies. I'm your redeemer. And dear friend, for you and I today, I want you to know that God is still declaring to us he is a redeemer. In Jesus Christ, he sent his son to this earth. And when we did not have a way to get to God, God came to us and he redeemed you from your sin. Jesus said in John chapter 8, he who sins is enslaved to sin. But if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. It's Jesus Christ who broke the shackles of sin on the cross. It's Jesus Christ who redeemed us from that pit of sin. And in this preface, do you hear it? God is teaching us theology. He is teaching us who he is, what he has done. He is declaring to you, I am the Lord. I am the God who is, as opposed to all these false gods who are not. And don't you see what I've done for you? I have demonstrated my glory to you, Israel, in these plagues in the Red Sea. Jesus comes, he's demonstrated his signs and wonders. He showed us that he's God and he has redeemed us. He's brought us to the other side. So that is our theology. Now, as I said a moment ago, theology drives practice. What we know about God determines the way we live. So what the Old Testament is saying is this, because he is Lord, because he is Redeemer, therefore, we keep his commandments. Friends, these commandments are how we are supposed to live in response to who he is and what he has done. That's why the preface is so, so important. But let's get into this second point today. Let's look and zoom in on this first commandment. We'll put the verse up. This is Exodus 20. Verse 3, God's first commandment, he says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. Friends, we're talking about the object of worship. How are we to love God? We are to have him as the proper object of worship. Now, in order to teach this properly, I want us to use a tool. We're going to use the Westminster Shorter Catechism. I encourage you guys if you've never read the catechism, read it, study it. This is a teaching tool. A catechism is simply a questions and answers. And did you know for every single commandment, the catechism asks these questions, what is required in the commandment and what is forbidden? So we're going to use this as a tool to help us learn the first commandment. What is required in the first commandment? Here's the answer. The first commandment requireth us to know and acknowledge God, to be the holy true God and our God, and to worship and glorify him accordingly. So what is required of this commandment? First of all, to know God. In order to worship God, the Bible says we have to know God. Adam and Eve knew God. They had a great relationship with him. You remember that? They talked with him in the cool of the day in the garden. But then sin entered the picture. But God made a way for his people to be able to know him personally, relationally, 
Remember, Moses asked that question, what's your name? God told him, I have a name. I am. And then Jesus comes years later, and he makes himself known as the I am of the Bible. He identifies himself with the God of Exodus 3. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the door. And Jesus went to the cross and made a way for you to know God personally. Friend, if you want to obey the first commandment, if you want to have God as the proper object of your worship, you first have to know him. Because if you don't know him, you can't worship him. Jesus has made a way for you to know him. Come to God by grace through faith. And what Jesus has done for you, be saved so that you can know God. But the second thing this commandment requires us is to acknowledge him. To acknowledge him. We are to point out the fact to other people that the Lord is the Lord. We can't be quiet about it. We can't hide it in our lives. As one commentator said, we are to take and own God for our God. That's exactly what the psalmist did in Psalm 48 when he says, For this God is our great God forever and ever. How does, what is, what, how does Paul say it in the New Testament? Don't be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to everyone who believes, to the Jew, to the Greek. Stephen, while he was being persecuted in the book of Acts, man, he acknowledged God, didn't he? He acknowledged God, even in the midst of persecution. And friends, many of our friends in the persecuted church around the world, they are dying for acknowledging their God. Yet they acknowledge him because he is the object of their worship. So we know him, we acknowledge him, but thirdly, we also worship him. That's what this commandment requires. That means with our minds, our hearts, our wills, in everything that we are, we're to worship and glorify God and God only. Nothing else should come into the way. God is the object of our worship. So what is forbidden in this commandment? Let's look at the next question. The catechism says, what is forbidden in the first commandment? The first commandment forbiddeth denying or not worshiping and glorifying the true God as God and our God and the giving of that worship and glory to any other which is due to him alone. So what does God's first commandment forbid us to do? The first thing would be atheism. Atheism is simply to deny that there is a God, specifically the God who says, I am. I mean, think about that. When God comes to us and says, my name is I am, and the atheist says, no, you're not, that puts our own thoughts above what God says, right? That's a dangerous place to live, folks. When we get to the point in our life when we exalt our feelings or our thoughts Above what God says, that's a dangerous place to live. You don't want to be there. That's terrible theology and at least a horrible practice. Let God's word have authority in your life because he's God. He's declared to us he's the Lord. He's shown us his work as redeemer. Psalm 14 verse 1 says this. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. 
I think it was this past Thursday, I was out around sunset. I had to go get gas, and Jack was with me. And I looked up, and I saw maybe the most beautiful sunset I'd seen in Indian Trail in a long time. Anyone see that? It was, it was amazing. I got out of the car, walked over, took a picture. It was, it was so beautiful. And I said, you know, the fool says in his heart, there's no God. I mean, here's a beautiful creation that God has painted. God, you know, I, I, I joke with my kids sometimes, or they think this is kind of goofy, but I say, God's the best artist. God's the best artist because he paints these beautiful pictures. And you see this picture of creation. How can you deny there's a God? Creation is testifying to us that there is a creator. But the atheist in his heart says, there is no God. How foolish is that? When creation declares his glory, when the word of God shows us how much God has done for us and who he is. The first commandment also also forbids profaneness. What is that? When we profane his name. You know, a lot of times we profane the name of God in forgetfulness. Forgetting to acknowledge God. Forgetting to lay our plans down at the feet of Jesus. You know, saying we're going to go do this and that tomorrow without giving that to the Lord. When we completely disregard him in our daily lives. That would be profaning God. Also, maybe when we omit or neglect worship would be profaning God. And then the last thing, of course, is idolatry. Idolatry is when we give worship and glory to anything other than God alone. Worship is due to Him alone. Friends, is anything coming in your way of worshiping God and God alone? We commit idolatry when we maybe put a relationship ahead of God or a job ahead of God or a sport, an entertainment ahead of God. God desires to be the only object of our worship and we're not to put anything in front of him. So friends, when we kind of step back and look at this, let's go back to the summary, right? The summary, love God with all your heart, because I want you to remember something. This is all about loving God. It's not just to give you a set of rules, regulations, is that Jesus says, this is about loving God. So here's what I mean. When we know him, when we acknowledge him, and when we make him the object of our worship, we're loving him. When we refuse atheism, when we do away with profaneness and when we get rid of every idol, we're loving him with our whole heart. And then our last point, the second commandment. Verses 4 through 6, the second commandment, we're not going to read it for the sake of time. We read it a moment ago. But friends, as the first commandment teaches us the object of worship, the second commandment teaches us the means of worship. Once again, we'll use the catechism to help us. We'll put these questions up back to back. This is question 50. What is required in the second commandment? The second commandment requireth the receiving, observing, and keeping pure and entire all such religious worship and ordinances as God hath appointed in his word. And then what is forbidden? Question 51. The second commandment forbiddeth the worshiping of God by images or any other way 
not appointed in his word. Let's talk about a couple stories from the Old Testament. These are stories of people who did not have the proper means of worship. Think about this with me. Leviticus chapter 10. The sons of Aaron. Their names were Nadab and Abihu. And the Bible doesn't go into great length about this story, but it says that the children of the first high priest, Nadab and Abihu, they offered profane fire before the Lord. And in response, the Lord devoured them with fire because they did not regard God as holy. They messed with the elements of worship improperly. Think about 2 Samuel chapter 6. The Ark of the Covenant was put on a cart, and that cart was being pulled by oxen. And the Bible says that one of the oxen stumbled, and the, cart, and the ark on the back of that cart started to shake. Well, there was a man walking beside the ark. Do you remember his name? Uzzah. Uzzah looked at the ark. It was shaking back and forth. And in his mind, he thought he was going to be helpful. So he took his hand and he put it on the ark to make sure the ark wouldn't fall. But what happened? God struck him and he died. You see, God, before that happened, God had given Israel very, very specific rules about the ark. Not to touch it. In fact, it wasn't even supposed to be on a cart pulled by oxen, right? It was supposed to be carried on poles. There were holes in it. Put the poles through and you carry it on the poles. So what was Israel doing? They were disobeying the way God was teaching them to worship him. And that's a big deal to God. We see throughout the Bible people making images of false gods to worship Romans chapter 1 talks about the heathen making images to worship that they would bow down to them and break God's commands. Dear friends, I know these are some even somewhat graphic stories from the pages of Scripture, but as we study these stories, what do we learn? We learn not to disregard the holiness of God. We learn not to disobey His commands. Have you ever seen R.C. Sproul's series on holiness? He was talking about Uzzah and the ark. And I remember there's one statement that, that uh, Dr. Sproul made. He said, Uzzah made a mistake. He thought his hand was cleaner than the dirt on the ground. See, Uzzah forgot how sinful he was, how holy God is, and how important it is to obey what God says and do things the way God says to do it. So friends, the Bible says we should only worship the Lord through the means of what the Bible teaches us to do. So when we study the scripture, what are the means? What are the ordinances for worship? We'll put them up on the screen. And these are things we try to do at Redeemer all the time. The emphasis on the reading of Scripture. On singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. On prayer. On the preaching of God's Word. On giving our tithes and our offerings. On confessing the faith. On baptism. 
and the Lord's Supper, which we'll take part in in just a moment. Friends, these are the means of worship. These are the opportunities for us to honor God properly in the way he says to honor him. And we believe that these ordinances need to be kept purely and entirely in obedience to the Lord. And remember, this is all about what? Loving God. This is all about loving God. So take a step back and review with me because I want you to know, dear friends, when you rid your life of inventing your own means of worship, when you worship God in the way he says to worship him, you're loving God. You're loving God. When you properly regard his holiness, when you take delight in these ordinances, you're loving God with your heart. Dear friend, as we close this morning, just a reminder of the summary of God's law. What do these Ten Commandments mean? God is teaching you how to love Him properly. Specifically today, we remember the object and the means of worship. But remember, theology drives practice. This is why we're doing this. Theology drives practice. What we know about God determines the way we live. What do we know? We know He's the Lord. He's I Am. He's not these gods who aren't, these Egyptian gods. He is the God who is, who created, who re- and he also what redeems. He's the one who brought him out of Egypt. He's the one who brought us into a saving relationship with him. Therefore, because of who he is, we respond in obeying his commandments. First of all, we love him by making him the object of our worship. We know him through his son, Jesus Christ. We acknowledge him. We're not ashamed of him. And we worship Him and Him only, having nothing come before Him. We refuse atheism, profaneness. We refuse idolatry because this is how we make God the object of worship. This is how we love Him. And then secondly, we know how to worship Him, the proper means of worship. We don't disregard His holiness like Nadab and Abihu did. We don't disobey his commands like Uzzah did and think we know better, we're going to catch the ark. No. We don't make idols like the pagans of old. Rather, we know his ordinances and we worship him in the way that he commands us to worship him. Because, dear friends, this is how we love God, by making him the object of our worship and having the proper means of worshiping him. And as we prepare prepare now, for the Lord's Supper, to worship Him. Please join me in prayer.